we're on chapter six now. And where we left off in our previous class was this beautiful reminder of also just where it is finally that we'd like to be on an, just an outward level. It's one of those tests almost, you can say, of where our consciousness must be now. And this is what Krishna says of the Supreme Yogi. He says, he is a Supreme Yogi who gazes equally upon patrons, friends, enemies, strangers, peacemakers, those who cause trouble, relatives, the virtuous, and the ungodly. Essentially, our eyes need to become the eyes of God because God shines his love and his grace. Even though it may not seem that way, he shines it equally on all of his children. And if we find our gaze not yet quite as perfect, if we see in our gaze, you know, <laughs> blurriness or different shades of color, you know, of what we believe to be, it's again not to, as Swamiji would often say to us, he says, I'd support you. I may not always support your actions, but know that I will always support you. And that's the kind of, you could say, way we work with the world and we work with people doesn't mean we're not approving their actions because in fact uh, people but in ignorance their actions tend to be sometimes quite evil quite harmful uh, you know we know what the what people are capable of in this world we've seen the worst we've seen the best as well in the forms of the saints but also in the form of people of science who've really kind of tried to make uh, each of our lives more comfortable more convenient uh, just giving us so many great, great inventions, thought processes, awarenesses. And so both comes from it. But we have to find in our gaze that perfect unity where both sides come together. And where does that unity come from? We've been talking about yoga. This particular chapter, in fact, is called uh, Dhyana Yoga, the actual true yoga where we're now coming to. Because we've been talking a lot, even though Krishna has been mentioning every now and then the need to come back into our spine, the need to control the reactive process and the ira and the pingala. He introduced the Kriya Yoga technique in, a, in its own cryptic manner through the uh, pran and the apan, kind of neutralizing themselves as they get offered into each other. But now he comes to a very more practical expression of meditation. And for those of us, on the path of yoga, a lot of what it says here uh, is how we live, how we already practice our techniques. But when it comes through the words of Krishna from his mouth, it almost adds a certain like, oh, wow, you know, even Krishna is giving us the exact same um, kind of advice, nice. meditationally speaking, as our guru did. And even though there's, of course, our guru is bringing Krishna's teachings, but sometimes hearing it, straight from his mouth just makes our heart feel a little gladder and so here we are we're on verse 10 of chapter 6 free from the hopes engendered by desire and untouched by any craving for possession the waves of feeling in his heart controlled by yoga concentration the yogi retiring alone to a quiet place should try to unite his little self with the Supreme Self. So, so far Krishna has really stressed a lot about these things. Freeing ourselves from desire, 
through nishkam karma um, untouched by craving for any possession so anything outwardly anything that we have in our lives that they don't bind us and stilling the waves of our heart by controlling those waves which is the chitta which we talked about a lot during the uh, when we talked about the four aspects of consciousness man buddhi ahankar and chitta and we might come back to it at certain time just to revise that understanding but after we've done that and these can be done on a certain degree outwardly in fact these three aspects are perfectly encapsulated by the yamas and the niyamas which is this you know uh, overcoming desire especially through the control of our speech of our thoughts of our senses of our life force finding that contentment developing devotion because how are we going to still the waves of our heart we're not going to in the beginning be able to just kind of stop the waves of our heart in fact and to a certain degree that's not what we're looking for we're not looking to become dead but we're looking to increase so much of the power through our heart which awakens only through devotion that all those little whirlpools those little waves get washed into a tidal wave of divine love but after we've done that on this outward level now krishna says because without that you you have your karma yoga you've got your gyana yoga you've got your bhakti yoga but now comes raja yoga where all three of these streams look seen as tributaries they now go and feed into us where the actual unity takes place which is within which is not in action which is not in thought which is not just in love even but the unity takes place on a soul level through our very life force uniting with gods and so he says the yogi retiring alone to a quiet place should try i love this word should try to unite his little self with the supreme self he's not saying he should unite it because he knows he's he said i'm i'm guiding you on this path i've told you everything you need to do and now you need to try this which is it means he understands it's going to be a journey for us oh you just retire to a place and you just sit and you should just unite with god that's not what he's saying you should try daily we should be trying to unite with god but there's a deeper real truth here as well which is that swami ji talks about the fact that it's important for us this line here which says retiring alone to a quiet place this is not just about our daily meditations which is make sure in your home you do have a quiet place that you can have to yourself where you can be alone not just for the time being but that that energy is just your vibration your alone vibration where nobody does anything else there and that's very important even though for some of us on a practical level that may not be um, you know possible but to the best of our abilities if we can just say this corner listen everybody in the house this corner is my meditation corner and i and i want it to be left alone left pristine because every other part of the house has its own vibration vibration whether of the in the kitchen in the bedroom in the living room of other people of their ideas their thought processes their desires and all of that participates in our own aura so when we go to meditate even if we find a space that's purely ours even if it's a tiny little sliver if you can do that please do 
However, then on a larger level, Krishna is also talking about the importance of, in fact, retiring to quiet places alone in terms of seclusions. This important need, which is we have to balance activity with this inner silence of meditation. And the fact of the matter is we're more active than we meditate on a daily basis. I mean, how many of us, you know, you've got your half an hour's some of us have our hour, two hours, three hours, yet my activity still is, you know, 15 hours, 12 hours. And so restlessness tends to be uh, more of what we practice than restfulness through meditation, right? So, of course, we can't shift that. We have practical realities. All of us have responsibilities that are part of our freedom, not responsibilities that are unnecessary and, oh my goodness, why do I have them? Responsibilities that are very much part of our freedom process, yet they are outward pulling. Even the best action performed with the best intention is still outward pulling. And so the need to also have periodic seclusions is very important. Those moments, whether it's a day, whether it's days, where there's nothing pulling you in any other direction, and except God, God's the only reality. In fact, in our meditations, it's hard to make God the only reality. Even for half an hour, we can't make God the only reality. And that's because of the space. Our space plays a huge role. I, I, I remember, I think, saying this, I don't know if it was during the Gita class or some other class, when Narayani and I once were visiting this other saint. Um, and uh, he had said to us, he, he was telling us how how amazing the path of Kriya Yoga is, even though that's not his path. But he, he's, he was just gung-ho about the fact that we meditate and that we know where the true unity with God comes from. And he was just, he's like, my own disciples, I can't teach them this yet to them. But I'm just so happy that you guys are doing this. You guys as in all those who follow the path of Kriya of self-realization. And so we, you know, in, in just in conversation, we were asking him that, Swamiji, even though you say that, it's like we've, we've, because he was saying it takes a lot of good karma, it takes a lot of lives very focused on the spiritual path before you even come to a technique like Kriya. And so we were saying it doesn't feel that way sometimes to us, you know, in our meditation, sometimes it just doesn't feel that way. Why aren't we getting those that we read about the saints? Instantly breath is being pulled out and instantly we're in that uh, complete stillness and our consciousness has expanded. We get to glimpse that, we witness it every now and then, but um, it's not as often as we'd like, is it? Isn't that true? And he said, you'd have no idea how much uh, the other people's thoughts around you and their auras, in fact, are part of the restlessness of your own meditation. And he says, sometimes it, you need to get away completely and only then you will realize what is truly your aura and what you are experiencing in your meditation, which is only yours. Most of the time, he said, especially since now you're living in a city, because when we first met him, we were living in the countryside. He says, now that you're living in the city, everybody's energy is participating in your meditation. So that's an important thing for us to realize because um, as much as we you know, are meditating daily, which is fabulous, um, it is to a certain degree not just our meditations because of the vibrations all around us. So if every now and then we can find a spot, a space where 
human vibration is at its lowest you know up in the mountains out in the forest somewhere just in the countryside there you will know and for a little longer period not just go out for half an hour and then come back because it takes a while to shake off what we've gained you know especially in city living that's where you'll finally begin to uh, experience yourself in the truest sense of your own meditation not to say it's not possible i mean we've had fabulous meditations in mumbai which you would think were should be impossible but when the energy becomes powerful enough then pff, nothing matters but usually when you're attempting to go deep there's enough that's also pulling you outward so it does play and affect your meditations then he goes into the more specifics of meditation itself the yogi should have a firm clean seat neither too high nor too low so just perfect for your needs all of us depending on the size length of our legs the you know our own heights our own flexibility our own abilities we have to first recognize and find that kind of a seat which is firm which means it won't move us we won't especially when we start losing body consciousness a little bit you need to be very well grounded otherwise the body kind of immediately you know kind of tips over and the life force is forced back out so a firm seat is very important for us even if you're sitting on a chair it needs to be a nice firm chair with your feet planted firmly on the ground so that you have complete grounding during this process he should cover his seat first with kusha grass then cover that with a deer or tiger skin and then place upon that a wool and or silk cloth now i don't think many of us are following <laughs> this particular uh, advice of course kusha grass back when krishna was talking about it was specifically used a mat woven of kusha grass was used um because it absorbed the dampness people were sitting directly on the on the ground on mother earth you know they weren't marble floors or tiles and things of that nature back then they weren't even chairs were not that common either sitting on the floor was common place just as if i go to a village now they mostly everybody sitting on the floor so they spread out a chatai you know this is so that it just protects us from the dampness of the earth so this is what kusha grass's purpose is today right now in our homes that's not uh necessary again you have to recognize the practicality that krishna is sharing he's not talking about some sort of sacred woo woo you know this special grass is going to infuse your meditations with some magical properties no just practical plain simple and sometimes we read too much into these things and then uh these things become rather than aids they become stumbling blocks on our uh spiritual journey then of course he talks about deer and tiger skin now we've seen so many uh, yogis from ancient times we've always seen them seated on some sort of a deer or a tiger skin sometimes a leopard skin and that's because these skins in fact have uh, insulating properties and we talk about this in our how to meditate classes the insulation that because there are downward pulling subtle vibrations in the earth you know gravity is one of those more outward aspects of that same downward pulling because maya has downward pulling <laughs> subtle realities and that manifests also in the earth which represents our first chakra so the first chakra has this magnetic downward pulling reality to it and these natural fibers of these skins act as insulators swami ji says 
not that we have to necessarily get them, but if we have a deer skin, deer skins help also promote um, a deep peace and stillness that comes with it. And tiger skins promote a lot of willpower that comes with it. As long as they have died of natural death. As long as they have died a natural death, which is an important. So if you happen to find <laughs> a deer or tiger skin, go for it as per what you need. But the very same job can also be accommodated. And again, this is because these are aids, very subtle aids. They are not, they don't make or break your meditations, but they do help. Just as we were talking about the vibrations around us participating in our meditation. So it's important to find a corner that's just yours or a room that's just yours. Similarly from the earth. So what we recommend and use is a woolen cloth, you know, pure wool and pure silk and natural, completely natural. These two fibers also create. So if you can get wool and place silk on top, it will give you more or less the same benefit of the natural skin that the tiger and the deer skin provides. If you're seated on a chair, make sure you cover it entirely from the top all the way under your feet. If you're seated on the floor, of course, just make sure the entirety of your body rests on that asana. And the beauty of that asana is that we then get to carry it wherever we go. It holds our vibrations. It, it acts as, a, as our portable you know, meditation space. So if I'm on a train, if I'm in a hotel, if I'm in somebody else's home, that asana kind of... Uh, becomes your little protective shield because you've infused it with your daily meditations. So again, very practical realities. Next, seated firmly there with one pointed concentration of the mind and neither roaming mentally, which we all love to do, nor reacting to sense stimuli, let him seek self-purification by yoga practice using the techniques prescribed by his guru. So this is the beauty here and Krishna in the next stanza again he will say something. So there are certain things about meditation that are universal. Universal in the sense that these are requisites. We've got to opposition the way we sit you know whether it, it doesn't matter if I'm in Siddhasana or Padmasana or Sukhasana or Vajrasana that's not so important. That you can do as per your guru's guidance. But that you have a firm, kind of a solid grounded posture, that's important. So we have to always recognize what's behind what our gurus have said. Otherwise what, you, what happens is we start comparing and we get all competitive. Achha, he says Vajrasana but that other saint said Padmasana and this other guy said Siddhasana and which is right. You know, and we get confused. Whereas listen to what your guru said However, Krishna here is also giving us the underlying truth so that you know that, okay, this much I have to have in place, but then the technique that I practice once I have my asana, you know, we went yam niyam, now comes asana. Once asana is in place, then the technique of my guru comes into play. However, even in that, single-pointed concentration is a must. If your technique given to you by your guru does not somehow include single-pointed concentration, you need to know that that must be there or you've not understood your guru's technique well enough. So single pointed concentration is needed. That allows so that the mind does not roam, which is one of the biggest things. And the second is that we don't react to sensory stimuli, which is what? Sounds all around us. The feeling of our body and the heaviness of our body and the itch and the pain that suddenly starts coming in, the smells that are around us. 
the breeze, the feeling, the AC, the fan, I mean, all of this, we don't realize it. They're all playing major roles in our meditation. And if we are to interiorize away from our senses, if we are to interiorize away from the conscious mind towards the superconscious mind, that one single pointed concentration is mandatory. No meditation technique can be called a meditation technique if that is not there. And of course, we know for us, Hong So becomes that first single pointed concentration technique. In fact, Yogananda called Hong So the technique for super concentration. And that's the first step. That's why Hong So is the first thing we teach. Upon that foundation does every other technique get built. Holding the spine, neck and head firmly erect, motionless. So that's the next stanza now. Holding the spine, neck, head. So you've got the spine, you've got your neck, you've got your chin, which participates in whether the head is being firmly held or not. These three things have to be in perfect alignment. Very important. Again, no meditation. If you think, if you see people meditating with a hunched back and, and they feel that they're in a nice place and they come out and tell you they've had a wonderful meditation, chances are they've gone more subconscious, which is also equally restful, which can sometimes even the subconscious mind, which has experienced a lot of stuff, can also bring us wonderful experiences, but it doesn't take us to God. If you want to go to God, you know, it's no passive process. It's a very dynamic process. We have to become Arjuna and we literally have to be Arjuna. You remember in our first few stanzas during when we were talking about Arjuna's despondency and that moment comes when he says, Arjuna lets go of his bow, unstrings his bow in complete, you know, that should I fight or not when he's confused and he's in this dilemma. That's what happens when our energy goes down, our posture goes down and we throw and unstring our bow because this is our bow, you know, sitting sideways. This is the bow, the chest, your nose and the spine, the central shushumna, which of course you can't see, which runs in the very middle of my body, in, of all our bodies. That's the string and the outward form of our body forms that outward bow. And we have to make sure that our bow is firmly held throughout our meditation. That's very important. Therefore, all in all scriptures, you see Ram and his bow. All great warriors had their bow. And it wasn't that they were with bow and arrows all the time. It was because they had that perfect posture that gave them. What, does the, what did the bow give them? Single pointed concentration to be able to shoot the arrow of their attention, of their awareness, single-pointedly at their target. And our target is God. Our target's not any foe outside, but first the foes inside, all the Koroas <laughs> giving us lots of trouble, but then eventually to get to God. So where does then, where does God reside in all of this? Let the yogi then focus his gaze at the starting point of the nose. This is how it says Nasikagram. And before, I remember many years ago, a lot of people would talk about this is the starting point of the nose. And so they would, you know, ask us to kind of get cross-eyed and kind of watch this point. And of course, Nasikagram is where the nose begins from, which is at the point between the eyebrows. The base of the nose is what it means, not the tip of the nose. 
now of course through a lot more information available this this misunderstanding has been rectified but i do remember 10 15 years ago 20 years ago even as a little child when i had first heard about meditation i remember a lot of people talking about having to concentrate here but of course it is right here the nasika gram the point between the two eyebrows and let him not gaze elsewhere but he keep his gaze calmly one pointed so the calmness is important which means there's no tension when we first start meditation a lot of people talk about oh when i pay, place my attention here there's a lot of strain that's because you know in placing our attention again we go cross eyed we think that we have to particularly you know kind of focus at this point the point's not important of course but the direction of the gaze that this point represents is important in fact uh swami ji would talk about master almost said when you meditate feel yourself watching from the medulla because the medulla is our sense of i the ego from the medulla watching outward through the point between the eyebrows and then that's the trajectory you want to keep and we talk about it of course is where you place your thumb you lift it up 15 degrees to 30 degrees just at kind of at the top of your head and then you keep that gaze and that's that trajectory that needs to be created and of course on the other hand again you have to realize what krishna is being is being completely practical because what this area represents which now is common place or at least becoming more and more common place as it represents our prefrontal cortex and the prefrontal cortex is you know we talk about this so often is that part is the human part of our brain it's the divine part of our brain where joy and bliss and creativity and intuition cooperation and harmony will power and concentration all of that is experienced and in a sense when that part is activated that's what our lives become and so when we're meditating we're not just going into some sort of la la land and sometimes you know we get too caught up in oh, which chakra this is and how many petals it has and you know how should i get into it whereas all these great saints all these rishis have only been interested is how to use the human physiology our own nervous system our own energy bodies to get to the highest center and awaken that highest center within our being that happens to be the agnya chakra in the human sense of course you've got the sahasrara then then goes beyond creation but if we can only get there through the kutasta through this krishna consciousness and so that's what we're doing and sometimes it's helpful for us to break beyond the mystical esoterica of the chakras and this and just get into the fact that the, the human body has this divine intelligence into its creation our very nervous system paramans yogananda said is the only nervous system complex enough to have an actual experience of god that's why the lower life forms can't and they live more by instinct their evolution is automatic the when we get to the human form our evolution becomes our choice because our own nervous system now allows us in fact to behave god like by creating our own realities serene fearless steadfast in his vow of brahmacharya sexual control his mind controlled and his attention centered in me the seated yogi should meditate on me as the ultimate goal of all striving now that's another very important aspect serene which is even in our facial expressions it's it's just helpful to have 
this gentle little smile even as we meditate just that serenity should also be reflected in every form but also that there is no tension in your face sometimes if you watch people meditating after a little while you know their face a little lot of tension develops very subconsciously so we have to be aware serene yet fearless which means with all our energy and life force steadfast in his vow of brahmacharya now this is this gets a little confusing for many of us because the majority of us are not at least right now practicing our brahmacharya most of us are married with families um, and or in relationships very very few of us now at least those of us that narayani and our, my life intersects with um, are living that monastic life so how important is brahmacharya becomes a whole other <laughs> uh, discussion but needless to say and krishna will go on um, and give us another hint in a couple more stanzas but oh it's already 8:10 maybe this would be our last yeah, stanza keep going <laughs> um but what's important here is and we talked about this in a previous class about the yamas and the niyamas because brahmacharya is a yam is one of those uh, do's or don'ts sorry which is non-sensuality which is what brahmacharya means so it's first talking about non-sensuality being also control over all our senses not just the sexual force however the sexual force is the strongest of our pulls you can say because of the pleasure that it gives but also because it's an ingrained reality of creativity and promulgation you see our very our very true essence of immortality gets expressed a lot of people the need to have children is in a sense the need for continuation that a man or a woman feel that my energy continues to exist because it comes from an actual an ancient memory of our immortal natures and so that force is very powerful and it's powerful not only in its ability to draw us into it it's also powerful in the fact that it actually allows us to create life i mean we literally can create life so that force is no meager force it has it has god's power in it because god gave us this life and we have the ability to pass that life on and actually give life more than just what we have i mean that's power so as a yogi i need to be aware of that power i need to be aware of the fact that i'm not just wasting that power because if i could harness that power imagine how much deeper my meditation would be but again we have to see it in the context of our current present lives we've all uh, i'd like to assure you we've all lived lives of brahmacharya all of us in one lifetime or the other we've all if we are at this point where we want to give our lives to god there is no way we've not experienced it and we've not had that moment we've not come to that point but the fact that we're also living the current life as is there are two things a we've got to learn what to do with our sexual energy because just to hold it in especially in the in our current situation doesn't work for us we need to learn how sexual energy is channeled properly and b despite our setting eventually even in this life we do want to head towards brahmacharya but 
through the actual understanding and use of our sexual energy and not through pure suppression or not through just putting ourselves in a situation where there is no temptation, there is no desire, so there is no question of brahmacharya one way or the other. So that's an important reality that all of us will eventually, all of us true seekers of God will eventually get to. But we don't need to necessarily worry too much about it now, knowing that the goal exists and that there is a process towards that goal. So with Brahmacharya, which is the control of our senses, primarily the sexual energy, that we are able to lift it up against the gravity of its natural pull, which is downward. The mind needs to be controlled through the way that Krishna has already talked about. Single-pointed focus and having a technique given by your guru that promotes deep concentration. And then of course, where is that attention to be fixed? And he says, that attention needs to be centered in me, me being Krishna, but not Krishna as the form of Krishna, me as that infinite omnipresent spirit that Krishna represents. So sometimes when we take all these things too literally, it's like, okay, if you only think about Krishna, that's the only way you could be meditating. And so only Krishna needs to be the person you're meditating on. And he doesn't even want us meditating on a person. He wants us meditating and uniting with a consciousness. And so meditating centered your attention, centered in me. The seated yogi should meditate on me as the ultimate goal of all striving. It's a good place to stop, but just to end Whatever your intentions behind meditation, and most of us come to meditation with different intentions, you know, and throughout even our spiritual journey, we, we sit to meditate with, I need to meditate because today I have this important project and I need to be centered for it. Or, you know, I, I learned that great CEOs meditate and they're very successful, so I need to learn how to meditate. And or nowadays, which is even more popular, is if I can meditate and visualize and manifest you know, this whole idea of manifest your own reality, manifest your dreams. And so there are, you know, oftentimes our meditations, you can say, are are um, uh, weighted towards desire, some desire or the other. And it's important, come what may. Paramahansa Yogananda said, never get up from your meditation until you have made actual contact with God. Very important. Now, contact with God doesn't mean you've seen Krishna or you had some sort of vision. It can be any of the eight aspects that we constantly talk about, you know, love, joy, bliss, power, energy, calmness, peace, wisdom, light, sound. But it's also just an, an inner experience of a feeling that you just know you've touched something beyond even what your original desire was. So. Whatever you sit to meditate for at the end, if you do have, if you want healing, if you want others to be healed, if you, you know, want to be calm and still for some very particular reason, if you in fact want to affirm and create a new reality for yourselves, they're all valid, but never take meditation to be only for that purpose. Meditation has a singular purpose and that is to unite us with God. And for those of us who are interested in that yet might use meditation for other things as well always remember never end your meditation until you've had at least some form of an inner contact otherwise what will happen is we'll degrade the power of our meditations and we'll hit a ceiling in our meditations that won't finally take us to that um, goal of satchitananda so with that 
those of us on the path of Kriya Yoga, these things our Guru has already shared with us, these things uh, have become part of our DNA, we live them. But it's always lovely to hear Krishna kind of reaffirm them for us. And hopefully through his words, through his encouragement, through the clarity that he brings into this process, that we may rekindle our own practices in the process. I'm going to bring it to a very, very simple place for us. Today we have spoken a lot about meditation, what to do in meditation, tips and to find a place. And that's what I want to focus mm. this week. Let's focus in our meditation place. If you don't have a place, a room, a corner where you only meditate, it's about time to do that. If you already have it, make sure it's clean. It, maybe it's a good time this week to refresh the energy, to change, rearrange a few things to make sure the, the energy is always flowing freely. Make sure you are always using the same cushion. If you are meditating on a chair, the same chair. Keep your things in that meditation place always available, accessible. Keep your cushion always there. So every time throughout the day, that you sit and you feel like sitting for five minutes, do that. Make your meditation place inviting, magnetic. So even by glancing at it, it's calling out to you. If you don't have or if you don't use yet a blanket, a woolen blanket or a piece of silk, try that this week and see how you feel if you perceive a subtle difference in your meditation if you feel our, your energy is withdraw more quickly and faster and if you feel any change in your meditation you can always use earplugs to make sure that the process of interiorization um, becomes also deeper. Some of us use earplugs and that blocks the noise of everything going on around us. Choose a time that you know even the city is more quiet. Perhaps 6 a.m., 7 a.m. It's, it's a very, very good time. I mean, you feel an incredible difference meditating early in the morning where people are not yet outwardly busy or restless or with phone calls or people on the streets and the cars and also late at night 11 midnight i mean it's just a perfect timing where everyone is just going to sleep the energy of the city is also quieter so use that find the right place make it magnetic, refresh the energy, put the pictures of those saints and masters that really inspire you, invoke your presence, sit there to meditate twice a day, 20 minutes, half an hour, be in that 
seclusion state, which really meditation is a moment of seclusion where we interiorize and we are in silence and use those moments of meditations, I mean, of your periods um, of silence. Choose the time, put a blanket, perhaps you want to keep always a candle lit on in that place. What I'm trying to say here is this week, focus mostly on your meditation space and, and work with it, play with it, uh, sit there and don't just sit there to be in silence and to relax. Make a point that every time I'm coming to my meditation spot, it's to keep adding the vibrations and depth that comes from a specific meditation practice, whether it's Hongso, whether you sit only to pray, whether you sit only to chant with the harmonium or to write a letter to your guru or to introspect, but make sure that when you go there, there is an intention. And that's, that intention is to keep magnetizing your own desire and love for the spiritual path that seal that each one of us will need to attract Krishna in our own meditation room. <laughs>